of the Global News Review. I'm Patrick Ryan, President of the Tennessee World Affairs Council. We have a uh, special edition of the Global News Review today. We're uh, going to take a look at the year 2021, what's ahead on the global landscape. And joining us uh, to uh, talk about uh, the issues ahead are uh, Dr. Breck Walker, historian, member of the Tennessee World Affairs Council uh, board, Ambassador Dick Bowers, uh, another member of the board, former ambassador to Bolivia, and uh, Mr. John Scanapieco, the chief of the Baker Donaldson uh, Global Business Team. Uh, welcome, gentlemen. Good to see you all. Great to be here, Pat. Happy New Year. Happy, Happy New, New Year. Year. Well, we uh, thank you for having me. Glad you're here, and, and I think you wanted to make an announcement about uh, hockey developments, John. Go ahead and put that in. <laughs> Well, you know, if we're talking about uh, developments in 2021 of a global nature, then the U.S. Uh, jun uh, uh, junior uh, team uh, beating Canada 2-0 to zero in the championship gold medal game, I think that ranks up there, so far anyway, as probably the number one uh, positive uh, uh, global trade uh, issue of the year so far. So congratulations to our Team USA. They did it was a great tournament and a great effort. And actually, some of our uh, draft picks for the Predators – played extremely well in all the different teams they were uh, they were on. So I think we've got good things ahead. Well, that's good news for the, uh, the, the those of us uh, spar for uh, some hockey. It uh, was a good tournament. Um, interesting to see that the U.S. beat Canada after Canada uh, shellacked uh, Russia in the semifinals 5-0. I was uh, not looking forward to playing Canada, but uh, it was a, a good outcome. Um, gentlemen, today we're going to uh, uh, put you to the test on uh, – uh, world Affairs, asking uh, what's been going on in 2020 that uh, attracted your attention, uh, the issues that uh, were of import. We'll go around the table and talk about that. Uh, the second question will be uh, taking a look at the uh, year ahead, specifically the first 100 days of the new Biden administration. Uh, for some reason, 100 days seems to be the yardstick on judging uh, developments in, uh, in new presidents. Uh, obviously, uh, President Biden has plenty on his plate domestically, and he's indicated that uh, the coronavirus uh, battle, um, the economic issues, social justice, and climate are his four top issues, but he's also identified uh, things he wants to do internationally, and we'll, we'll poke into that a little bit. And then lastly, I'm going to uh, ask you all to take a look at your crystal ball and uh, go on the record with uh, predictions for 2021, looking what's happening uh, around the world that... Um, uh, maybe our trend lines that we can follow and uh, and pick up on, or there could be uh, some uh, black swan out there that uh, you know you're you're willing to to put a bet with your Irish bookie and uh, see how that turns out. So let's uh, let's start with 2020 and uh, what uh, developments. And we're going to go around the horn here. We've asked uh, our guest today to to specialize in in one region uh, or other. Uh, Breck is, uh, is our Russia, uh, Central Asia guy. Uh, John is our East Asia, China, Japan, Korea, et cetera. And uh, Ambassador Bowers, uh, Dick, um, I think you've got the Western Hemisphere, and I'll, I'll talk uh, a little bit about the, the transatlantic relationship and Middle East things. Um, and we can uh, jump in on, on each other as, uh, as the, the mood fits here. Uh, John, do you want to start us off with uh, China, which we're looking at uh, great power relationships and, and that being a major uh, theme of U.S. foreign policy. And uh, you know China uh, better than uh, just about anybody that I know. So what, uh, what in 2020, uh, and we're going to leave the pandemic specifically, you know, it's the 800-pound uh, gorilla in the room. Um, everybody knows that that was a, a major event. And, and if there's a, an event that ties into the pandemic, we, we'll, we'll kick that around. Yeah, I think the, the for me anyway, uh, one of the big issues uh, just was the U.S.-China relationship in general. Uh, you know, as we started uh, January of 2020, uh, the Trump administration and China entered into the phase one trade deal. And it looked, even though that deal did not necessarily address the real structural issues and underlying issues that I think have given rise to the issues between China and the U.S., at least maybe it was a start. 
um, hopefully, uh, to improving some of those relations that would maybe lead to then a later deal later in the year. I know from the Trump administration, a lot of this is transactional in nature, geared towards the uh, re-election campaign. But still, I, I, I was optimistic that it might then lead to uh, something down the road. So I would say at the beginning of the year, I was actually thinking this is actually pretty good. And then, of course, then COVID hits. Um, and from a COVID perspective, really um, – there was a big, uh, initially a big supply shock. So, you know, for the rest of the world that relies so much on China for uh, goods, I mean, it really caused a lot of, a lot of problems for uh, businesses that, that I work with here in the United States and even in Europe and other places. So I think that's still a, a, a big deal. Um, and then, of course, you had then the worsening after COVID of the U.S.-China relationship. And, it, and it's for a variety of reasons. Some, I think, are somewhat manufactured in uh, you know, a, a, a Trump kind of vision of decoupling from China completely. Uh, but others, uh, you know, I think the Chinese bring on themselves. I mean, we have to look at the human rights issues with the Uyghurs, the crackdown in Hong Kong, uh, and really the changing of a lot of those laws that really we've gone from the you know, maybe one, one country, two systems, to now it's, it's China. And only China and that system. So I think that that then led to some other issues. And then, of course, the Trump administration, um, their response to a lot of that was things like, you know, now we've seen the delisting of a lot of China telecom on the stock exchanges. Although yesterday that was supposedly going to be reversed. But then today, I think it's back on. Um, and then you had the sanction of different um, folks, both in Hong Kong and China, over the Hong Kong issues and the Uyghur treatment. Um, I think all of those things now are, uh, you know, starting to really create. It's going to be very difficult for a Biden administration to kind of recover from that. I think another big deal was the uh, regional comprehensive economic partnership that was signed by China and then the ASEAN countries and then Australia, uh, North Korea. I'm mean, not North Korea, sorry, uh, South Korea, um, and Japan and uh, New Zealand. I think you know that was very interesting because it's China's way, I think, of, of exercising at least some influence in the region now that the U.S. had kind of backed out of the region. Um, so I think that was a big deal. I think also uh, the resignation of Prime Minister Abe was, you know, it, it's signifying a, a, a kind of somewhat of a switch in Japan. The Australia-China trade dispute itself, I think, the, is pretty uh, the, significant. John, if I could just mention that the Abe uh, resignation was was due to health. It wasn't a political development, right? No, no, no. I know, but but again, I think it's yes, you're exactly right. Sure, sure. But I mean, but again, it's a it's a change in you know we're, we're you know we're probably likely going to see some changes. Um, and uh, Prime Minister Abe was a you know big big supporter of you know of the U.S. in that relationship. Um, although I've seen now calls for hopefully the Biden administration to re uh, join rejoin TPP, so hopefully that maybe will lead to some better developments there. I think the India-China uh, border dispute, uh, as well as now this economic. Um, uh, somewhat tit for tat as India now has blocked a lot of Chinese investment in, in the country uh, at their apps being used in the country. Um, and then, of course, uh, problems with uh, the Belt and Road Initiative across the, you know, the world. A lot of those projects have either failed or stalled or just, you know, the, the, the host country, so to speak, has realized maybe that was not the, the bargain they really wanted. Um, and then, of course, uh, China's recovery from COVID. And then its recovery in terms of global trade, if you look at their numbers, uh, they rebounded uh, very, very quickly. And, you know, their numbers overall, I think they're one of the only countries, uh, uh, you know, that had positive uh, growth uh, last year at, at the end of the year. And then I can't remember, and I should have checked, but I didn't because, you know, COVID time, uh, the EU-China trade deal, I, I think that was this year, but it may have been at the very, very end of, of uh, you know, of, of last year. But I think those are, those to me are, this is, uh, so just me kind of writing down some notes while I was watching that hockey game last night of just kind of some of the things that really stuck out to me as being important developments, because I think they are going to require all of us globally to take notice and then adjust and, and, and see how it impacts each of these different countries. Cause I think there's definitely impact now, uh, you know, felt around the world by all of these uh, developments. John, let me uh, ask before we move on uh, North Korea, um, quiet last year, uh, not, uh, not too much in the way of provocation, anything that, uh, that you can recall in 2020 of, of North Korea, diplomatic, military, uh, saber rattling, uh, getting along with everybody? Yeah, we, I guess we did have um, 
uh, you know, some initially we had that beautiful relationship or whatever we want to call it. And I think towards the end of the second half of the year, you started seeing, I think, some missile tests, if I'm not mistaken. And you saw some of that rhetoric kind of get ramped up again. But, uh, you know, I that's an area that, you know, if you – Going to our third question, you just never know with North Korea, and that could be one of those things. Um, but nothing really, uh, you know, that really stood out as anything, what I would say, unique or abnormal or really provocative, like some of these other, like, you know, to me, that India China border dispute, I mean, that, you know, and, and you guys would know too from your background, I mean, that's something like that could really escalate um, uh, fairly quickly. I just didn't see anything like that with North Korea. Now, we may see a change uh, with a, a new administration. Uh, maybe the North Koreans say, okay, I'm going to take my shot uh, with these new guys because maybe they're not going to be set up or anything. But I, I just I just find that – I just don't see that really uh, as something that yeah. – I mean, obviously, that's always on the list. But 2020 was, uh, was relatively quiet for those guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, Which is nice. Uh, <laughs> let's see how 2021 turns out. Yeah, Russia, right. Russia um, not not far from the U.S. news, especially with uh, the revelation of the big hack uh, towards the end of the year, getting into uh, the U.S. government systems uh, by uh, uh, insertion of software into some admin protocols. Uh, but uh, Russia, Central Asia, uh, what what kind of developments? Uh, I know you led our discussion in our election 2020 series. Uh, which was a, a great uh, program, and I'd commend our, our uh, viewers to take a look in the youtube.com slash TNWAC archives of videos. Uh, Breck hosted uh, a terrific discussion on uh, Russia, Afghanistan, North Korea. Uh, Breck, what, what stands out in 2020 that uh, people should be uh, reminded of? Pat, I'd mention two things uh, involving Russia real quickly. One is that you already touched on, which is the massive Russian cybersecurity hack that had such a huge impact, not only on the U.S. government, but on corporate America. And at this point, I'm not sure that anybody knows just how extensive that hack uh, was. And uh, I think lots of folks are avidly trying to find out. But that hack highlights how the U.S. is the most connected economy and government probably in the world. That makes us also the most vulnerable target, cybersecurity target. Uh, in the world. Uh, That hack highlights how very difficult it is to detect uh, intrusions and to assess damages, even in systems that are pretty darn well uh, protected. Uh, I think that this hack, I I forget exactly, but I think the the hack started maybe as much as uh, nine to 12 months ago and uh, is only now being uh, discovered. And then it also highlights, and I think maybe this is the most important thing, that that there are no standard rules, there are no uh, common understandings regarding cyber attacks and how do we respond to that? I mean, the analogy would be in nuclear attacks. There was this whole uh, sort of science to how do you deter nuclear attacks and and that mostly involved making sure your opponent knew how you were gonna respond if they did attack you. And uh, the analogy breaks down on the cyber side or at least it has uh, so far. And that's going to be one of President Biden's biggest decisions, I think, going forward, is he wants to do things that deter or disincent the Russians and others from from, uh, engaging in those kinds of attacks. And the question is, how do we do that? Uh, So that'll be be, uh, early on his agenda, and he's already had some things to uh, say about that. The second thing I'd say in that area, and we talked about it in one of the earlier GNR uh, sessions, is Belarus. Uh, Alexander Lukashenko was uh, the leader of Belarus, the president of Belarus, has been since 1994. They had an election in August of this year. Uh, Lukashenko, uh, by the official results, uh, won handily his sixth term. I think that there was a common understanding not only throughout uh, the world, but uh, more importantly within Belarus, that that election was uh, hugely fraudulent. And it provoked massive protest and countrywide countrywide strikes. Uh, the EU and, to a lesser degree, the U.S. got involved and uh, uh, and officially and formally rejected the legitimacy of that election and called for new elections. The EU condemned the repression and violence that uh, Lukashenko unleashed against the uh, protesters, and they and the EU introduced selective sanctions against Lukashenko's supporters. But Lukashenko unleashed his goons, his security forces that uh, tamped down those protests. 
uh, Vladimir Putin weighed in. Uh, Lukashenko is an ally of his. He weighed in and warned the protesters not to go too far, maybe even insinuating that Russian troops might be sent in if they did. Uh, he warned the EU in very direct terms not to, uh, give, you know, not to give any thought to actually interfering. And the EU, I would say, uh, back down. They would only take it so far. They would not go any farther. Lukashenko is still very much in power, and we'll see how much of an example, how much of a, a worrisome example that, that might set for uh, Russian policy in the future regarding former satellite uh, countries. But uh, that's a big deal. And then the third thing, I don't want to forget this, Pat, if it's okay. Probably the most media-covered global event at least in the United States and the UK of 2020 was the move of the Royal Sussex, 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 Sussex I can't even say it, Harry and Meghan from uh, the UK to uh, Los Angeles. So I did want to mention that as a major global development as well. What, what was it called, a Harry exit or something? Or there was the Harry, uh, hex, yeah, the Mexit, Mexit, I believe. Mexit, yeah, yeah. Well, we, yeah, we wouldn't want to uh, miss that. Sorry, I'm interrupting. Right. Go, go ahead, Nick. You're up. Tell me about Navalny. Where do you think that's going to go? In the well, so-called Swamp Square or Bolotnaya Ploschat. And uh, you know, there's elections coming up in November, right? Dick, yeah. you're in the 2021. We're, we're, we're still going around the horn here on last year. That's we'll, all we'll I have to talk about in 2021, though. We'll, we'll, get, we'll get to Navalny. Go ahead, Dick. You're up for the Western Hemisphere. Uh, Venezuela. Top of the list, uh, and nothing, nothing that we are doing is affecting any change uh, in the regime of Nicolas Maduro. And in fact, uh, they had some rump elections which were widely seen as being totally corrupt. And the current legislature basically boycotted those elections, which meant that uh, Maduro and his henchmen won and they have now, using military force, taken physical possession of the legislative palace and installed the new legislature, all of which means that the fate of uh, Juan Guaido, who the United States and many other countries in Latin America especially, have recognized as the legitimate president of Venezuela. He is now uh, without a place to have his Congress convene. So it's clear that Maduro is Digging in, it seems to be um, have more control than, than he has in the last several years, and that the United States policy is kind of uh, in a quandary as to what to do or not to do about him. Another kind of interesting thing is what's going on in Brazil, which has the third, I guess, uh, highest COVID rate in the world. And besides Tennessee, besides Tennessee, right, um, and. Jair Bolsonaro, the, the strong man who's running Brazil these days, he had, was reported to have had COVID. And he just made a statement yesterday or the day before that the best vaccine for COVID is to get COVID. So they're having trouble kind of ramping up a vaccine program. So, that we, you know, he says, well, you achieve herd immunity by everybody getting it. And if you have a few people have to die, but then the ones left behind, they'll be in good shape. So that's uh, something to keep an eye on. Brazil is a big country with a lot of things going on in there. And uh, Bolsonaro is not uh, a, a champion or friend to the environmental efforts around the world. And forests are being cut and rivers are being polluted and uh, we're not engaged as we should be. Finally, just one last point on Argentina, and I think what's happening in America, Latin America as a whole, is a push towards a more secular society. The Catholic Church has been extremely powerful in Latin America for hundreds of years, and now it looks like that some of that power is uh, waning a bit, and the people of Argentina have passed uh, a law that allows women in Argentina to have abortions. And I would have not have thought that would occur in uh, the time frame that it did. So that's out there. We got problems with Mexico that uh, we arrested the one of the four-star general that had been critical and one of our main allies in the rug war. 
um, General Salvador Cienfuegos Zapeda. Uh, we picked him up in California when he was on vacation. This led to a huge uproar uh, in Mexico to such an extent that we let him go. And the Mexican president, AMLO, uh, Lopez Obrador, uh, basically got the Mexican uh, uh, legislative authority to pass laws that basically hamstrung any cooperation with foreign elements involved in the drug war unless we start behaving ourselves. So that's going to be something that's out there. One last point, the Cuban people, they are uh, standing in line for stuff because for decades they have had two currencies, one for internal stuff and one that you can actually buy stuff with. So most during the Cold War, all the communist countries had the same sort of thing. That, that, that if you wanted to get some cigarettes or anything that came from the West, you had to have hard uh, currency like dollars or pounds. So the Cubans have gone away, done away with that, and they're down to one currency, which means that prices are going to go up and availability is going to go down, uh, and it's going to be tough on the Cuban people. Well, Dick, you must have been uh, working on the What in the World weekly quiz. We had the uh, Cuban currency question in there. Did you get it right? I did not get it right because I one of the options was that th that there would be a decrease in the supply of available goods, and I think that's correct from my viewpoint as a what a minor in economics and long time ago in university. But the you and, guys had have, you, having been the control. Of, to a lot, <laughs> well, no, country. you had the answer that with the control of the party would be uh, weakened. Okay. So anyway, we'll so give, I missed we'll that, but I got the other nine correct, so it's all right. We'll give, we'll give you partial credit for that. Thanks, <laughs> thanks for taking the quiz. And and that, I'll just mention that uh, for people who wanted to get in our What in the World weekly quiz, uh, just sign up for our newsletter on tnwac.org. Uh, well, let me mention a couple of things about uh, Europe and uh, the Middle East. Um, really uh, busy year, especially responding to the pandemic, a lot of the European countries went through uh, cycles of uh, ups and downs. So they thought they were on a rebound, opened things up, only to have to lock things down again. So that, that affected uh, just about everything else that was going on in Europe. Uh, the key things, obviously, Brexit. On uh, Christmas Eve, the uh, EU and uh, the UK uh, signed off on a final Brexit agreement. Uh, not quite the uh, uh, what uh, the British were expecting or the Europeans were expecting but they did uh, come up with a deal and they were up against the uh, December 31st uh, wall there. So they did agree to uh, uh, a number of uh, trade provisions. Uh, there were a lot of issues that uh, you know, were, were kind of uh, below the radar until the last negotiations like fishing rights for French fishermen in UK waters, uh, what the regulations would be for uh, channel, tunnel, uh, transit, et cetera. Uh, apparently, the uh, the Irish backstop, which was a major stumbling block, the provision for the border between Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland to remain open, uh, which was a, a key provision of the uh, Good Friday Agreement uh, back in the 90s, which ended the troubles between uh, the Irish Republican Army and, and the British in Northern Ireland. Uh, that was at risk, uh, but apparently at this point, uh, there will be a trade uh, uh, inspection point uh, somewhere in the uh, Irish Sea between Northern Ireland and uh, Great Britain, the, uh, the British Isles, uh, so that uh, there is a border between the EU and the UK. And uh, John, you're, you're our trade expert, so if I stumble on something here, feel free to uh, straighten me out. But uh, uh, it seems that uh, the UK and the EU are on track to uh, sort things out. I think there's going to be a little bit of chaos uh, going ahead, but we'll, we'll talk uh, in the 2021 round about that. Uh, so Brexit uh, dominated uh, the news in the U.S. about what's going on in the EU, uh, but there are a lot of other uh, things going on that uh, the Biden administration will uh, need to take stock of. Uh, for example, Hungary and uh, Poland uh, were outside the tent with the EU with respect uh, to uh, democratic institutions. Uh, they, uh, they felt uh, that the EU was putting pressure on them unnecessarily, so they threatened to uh, block any legislation in the, uh, the European Union. And the way the EU operates is that uh, 
they require unanimity in uh, in their legislation. So the threat from Poland and Hungary was uh, significant uh, until the uh, the French and the Germans uh, put the screws to Hungary and Poland and said, "You guys will live to regret uh, trying to pull something like that." So that's uh, that that flared up in 2020 and um, probably remains to be uh, sorted out. Uh, We'll jump to the Middle East in the interest of time here and, and get back into Europe uh, in, in our further discussion. Uh, I think uh, one of the major issues in the Middle East that uh, the U.S. was concerned with was the normalization of relations uh, between the United Arab Emirates and uh, Bahrain with Israel. That uh, was the icebreaker uh, mid-year, and that was followed by uh, a couple of other Arab countries, uh, Morocco and uh, Sudan. Uh, you probably uh, know that Jordan and Egypt previously had a uh, uh, relationship with uh, with Israel. So now we see uh, kind of a logjam broken uh, with Arab countries uh, establishing normalization. Uh, none of these countries were, were at war with Israel during uh, the last uh, uh, go around, the Yom Kippur War in 1973. So to say that uh, this is a peace agreement would be a, a stretch. It's basically normalization of relations. And uh, there were some incentives uh, to uh, some of these countries. Uh, Sudan, for example, was uh, offered to be taken off the State Department list of terrorist sponsors. So they, uh, they signed up to normalize relations. Uh, the Palestinians, meanwhile, uh, objected to the, uh, the normalization. They, they called uh, the Arab states that were signing up for relationships with Israel uh, being uh, traitors to the cause of uh, the Palestinians. So it's uh, not as if this normalization is a quick path to a two-state solution or, or any other reconciliation between Israel and Palestine. Uh, also in the Gulf, the uh, tensions with Iran continued. Uh, we've seen uh, a number of provocative actions on both sides. And uh, the Iranians, uh, towards the end of uh, 2020, announced they were going to increase their stockpile of uh, uh, highly enriched uranium to 20 percent which is uh, beyond uh, the uh, limitations of the JCPOA, the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, which was signed several years ago and then uh, canceled by President Trump. Uh, the, uh, the JCPOA is uh, uh, still being followed by the Europeans, uh, Russia and China, which were part of the P5 plus one that, that signed that agreement. So that's uh, coming into 2021, that'll be uh, something on the table. Uh, otherwise, uh, we're concerned uh, about uh, human rights conditions in places like Saudi Arabia. There was a case of uh, a young woman who's been held in detention. She was among those who were in the uh, women driving movement. She was an activist who was arrested about the time that uh, Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman uh, relaxed the rule about uh, women driving. Um, paradoxically, the women who were protesting for that were rounded up about that time and and some of them in prison. Well, one of them, uh, one of the chief activists was brought back into court and uh, issued a uh, five-year jail sentence. Uh, so there's uh, continuing concern about human rights in Saudi Arabia, which is a, a key partner to the uh, United States in the Gulf. Uh, those are the high points of the Gulf, uh, the Middle East, and uh, Europe for 2020. Let's uh, jump in. Um, John, we're, we're looking at 2021, the first 100 days of uh, I almost said 100 years, it, it seems like nowadays days or weeks or months long. Uh, but uh, what's your take on uh, Asia? What, what should we expect to see the Biden administration uh, looking at in, in your neck of the woods? Sure. I, I think a lot of what you're going to see, uh, if, you know, if you take what was said on the campaign trail and now you've seen since his election, that the focus is going to be primarily on COVID response and then uh, um, strengthening the U.S. economy. So anything trade-related, which is a lot of obviously what I do, is supposedly going to take a back seat. However, um, the Biden administration is, is being left uh, a couple of nice presents on the Resolute desk for his arrival, including, again, China. I mean, that is just the elephant in the room. And so it seems like what you're going to see there is a continued tough stance on China. So like, no, the 301 tariffs will not be rolled back. Um, you're probably going to likely going to see those remain at least for the first year. You may see reform of the exclusion process that will make it easier, um, I think, for some goods to, uh, you know, to come in 
I think another area that's kind of related to China but is globally, you know, broader is the um, 100-day review of supply chain, you know, this critical supply chain. So um, things like PPE, medical supplies, um, pharmaceuticals, and food production, and maybe even energy, looking at our supply chains and seeing what they can do to kind of bring that back to the United States first, if not at least maybe secured through an allied country. Um, but I think primarily Primarily to come back to America, all part of the Biden, you know, strengthening of Buy America, um, you know, program and all of that. So I think you're going to see that uh, probably from a, a foreign aspect, uh, you know, in trade. Yeah, let me, let me and then, ask, of course, I, I, let me ask. I think I've heard that uh, the initial review of onshoring supply chains is not going to be uh, anywhere near as easy as, as the the assumptions had been. Is this something that's likely to be a, a tedious oh, issue? I, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know. You know, no offense, but um, I don't see how really you're going to be able to bring back significant supply chain unless, for example, you use like the Defense Production Act, for example, to say, okay, you have to produce and you're going to produce it here. And they, you know, in order to get that done, they have to reallocate resources or something. But I think it's going to be difficult. So the Biden plan, though, is to tax. Um, though, so let's say, for example, I move maybe production from here to China. Um, so long as I'm doing that to say take advantage of the Asia market, I'm going to be fine. But if I'm doing that to then, uh, uh, you know, I'll say export from China to the United States, services or goods, then I'm going to be hit with a tax on top of any other tax. But I think it's a 10% tax. At least that's the the plan. And, I, and originally I was like, well, I mean, that may have some success even in a divided, you know, Congress. But that could be something they choose to pursue that would then incentivize that a little bit. But again, most folks are looking at regional production now. You know, in terms of their supply chains, they're looking at where are they doing business and then uh, creating regional supply chains to then deal with that. So I, I just, I've always been, uh, you know, patriotically, I think you'll see some people do it. But again, it has to make economic sense. And it just costs so much, you know, to do that here in the United States. Now, I can see maybe moving it to Mexico. Or you know something around the United States, you know that's maybe again a, a lower cost jurisdiction, but but I don't see that as something that's really going to have a lot of appeal. Um, I think the WTO is also like WTO reform at least. Uh, well, one quick thing will be the uh, Director General. Um, you know, it's us and the uh, South Koreans that are blocking really the new Director General from I think Nigeria. I think um, is that who you know we're blocking. I, I think that may be a nice way to kind of show that maybe we have the olive branch ready to rejoin kind of this multilateral kind of approach. But I think that's going to be the other big thing you're going to see from this administration, at least as it relates to China in particular, is um, kind of reshoring up the uh, relationships that have been damaged with our allies during the Trump administration, because I think they're going to take more of, again, a multilateral approach to China. In the past, we've had success where multiple countries, say, for example, have looked at China and said, hey, that's a bad practice, so we're going to do this to you. Uh, and so I think that is something you'll see. Um, and you've also got um, the appointment of uh, Catherine Tai as the new USTR. Uh, I think it shows that they're going to take a tougher approach to China. You know, she's she is a China expert, speaks Mandarin, was big on enforcement against China in the Obama administration. Uh, even though, again, I think the fact that she was not a very senior person, I think it also shows they're going to downplay that role of the USTR, but at the same time have someone that knows what they're you know what they're going to do. Um, Ron, is, she then, a, um, is, is uh, she a Biden appointee, or is this an end of Trump uh, going out the door appointment? No, no, this will be a Biden appointee. So she's been announced uh, as the USTR. Usually that's one of the last things that gets announced um, because they've got all these other things to do. But they announced her fairly early. She had, it seemed like, bipartisan support. I think I don't think it should be an issue um, uh, at all. In fact, I was just speaking with someone yesterday that that worked with her and said she's fantastic. So, you know, it may be she's going to do more of what I'll call nuts and bolts versus, say, what uh, Ambassador Lighthizer was doing, which, you know, on the bigger policy uh, scale of, you know, decoupling and, and, and using tariffs, you know, as maybe a tool for foreign policy and, you know, things like that. I think she's going to be more, if, I, if I'm if i Biden, I would say to her, go, let's go try to fix the WTO and let's, you know, also deal with this China issue um, would be my two things I would say to her. But I think 
those are some of the things I think we're going to see in 2021, um, at least in Asia. Uh, again, with the you know some of these, you know, I'm hoping that this will also then lend lead us to maybe rejoining TPP. But I don't think that's the first hundred days. That may be really near two, three, something like that down the road. All right. Anything uh, we should be looking at with Japan? You know, again, um, what I've seen there is, uh, you know, we've had our mini trade deal. I know they're talking about maybe doing more, but, you know, I just, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how the Biden administration deals with trade. I mean, they've said no new trade deals until the U.S. economy has recovered and is stronger. Um, so, you know, I just don't really see a lot of movement there. That's why I was saying, and not in the first hundred days for sure. Um, yeah. But but again, I can see though, uh, uh, you know, olive branches, like I say, being extended to some of these folks uh, to try to again bring people together and 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 see the United States maybe um, you know, really demonstrating that it's ready to kind of rejoin the world and not this and get away from this America first, which you know some people have called America alone, and you know dealing with some of these big issues like COVID, like the economy, because you know again. Our economy is is so interconnected to everybody else. I mean, we all need to be working more together. I think to um, to really see real recovery, in which then I think will lead to things on climate change, uh, COVID, and uh, China in particular. But I think you'll see, and then Iran too. I mean, I think you'll see that with uh, you know with that as well. Right. All these regions have uh, issues that to concern the U.S. that are across uh, you know their transnational issues. Uh, Dr. Walker, um, is, is Biden, how, is, is he likely to pick up the bat phone to talk to Vladimir as often as uh, the current guy? I'll just be real brief on uh, President Biden and Russia in the first uh, 90 or 100 days. The one, one point I would make, though, is that U.S. policy, in my mind at least, U.S. policy under the Trump administration towards Russia uh, is tougher than it has been tougher than is typically appreciated, especially if you take Trump out of it and ignore his public statements and, and all those sorts of things, because we are providing uh, more military-oriented assistance to uh, Ukraine, for example, over the last four years. And uh, I think that our economic sanctions over the last four years against Russia because of its invasion of Crimea have really intensified. Uh, no thanks to Trump. I mean, that's the U.S. Congress and so forth. But uh, but I, I, I would recognize that. However, I think under Biden, of course, the tone coming out of the Oval Office is going to be much, much different than it has been uh, in the Trump administration. I mean, Biden has said publicly that he sees Russia as a, a tremendous threat, a country that is assaulting the foundations of Western democracy by seeking to, by seeking to weaken NATO and uh, divide the EU and interfere with the US electoral system. And uh, I think Biden's gonna make a big effort as part of what John was talking about to solidify the West, to have a more common approach to Russia, which is something that uh, the Trump administration had no interest uh, uh, in doing. Biden has said that the two big things he wants to accomplish with Russia right off the bat, uh, uh, in, and I think in the first 90 days, is one, he wants to renew this uh, sort of the New START arms control agreement uh, that expires on February the 5th that the Trump administration, I think, has picked up and was in the process of doing that uh, as well. And Biden has said very publicly and very directly that he wants to make Biden and that he wants to make Putin pay for this massive uh, cyber hack that went on. I think Biden's quote is, we will respond and we probably will respond uh, in kind. So that's, uh, those, those are bold words. Now, I think there are areas of possible cooperation between Russia and the United States, and not least of which, to be honest, is climate change because Russia in its Arctic and Siberian areas uh, had a terrible 2020 with crop failures and, uh, and uh, forest fires and, and temperature increases that were among the worst in the world uh, on a relative basis. But, uh, but my bet is that uh, once we get beyond the new start and whatever Biden decides to do in response to the Russian hack, my bet is, is that Russia is not going to be a high priority for Biden through the rest of his term. I don't see any upside for him in trying to improve relations with Russia. Any olive branches that he might throw out are going to be politically controversial. There's incredible distrust on the American side after uh, 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 distrust of the Russians. 
after the election interference in this recent hack. And Putin's not likely to offer any compromises on the Crimea or, uh, or on Ukraine. So I think Biden will pursue deals in areas where there might be mutual interest. But again, as I said, I think his biggest priorities will be to deter Russia, to try and deter Russia from future cyber attacks and uh, to get this new START treaty uh, negotiated and, uh, and in place. Yeah, new start is a big one. I think uh, we've got to February to get that signed, or, or it uh, it just uh, fades away, and and then we're back to uh, where where we were trying to limit uh, strategic nuclear weapons. Uh, that's that's a good point. Afghanistan. That's, think, that's a, go ahead. I was just going to say I don't think that Biden, that uh, Putin is going to be happy with the Biden administration, and I see tensions either continue, continuing to simmer or maybe even uh, getting worse. Yeah, I think the high point of the relationship will be signing New START, and then after that, uh, it's anybody's guess. Afghanistan, uh, Rick, I, I know you're you're familiar with what's going on there, and we're looking at the Taliban having negotiations and uh, the President Trump um, announcement that we were going to reduce uh, forces uh, to near zero, the element that's that's uh, there doing training, et cetera. Uh, what's what's your assumption for the Biden administration's look at uh, Afghanistan? Are they going to try to sort out the negotiations and and move on, or? Yeah, I mean, I, to me at least, uh, the probability that those negotiations, uh, and certainly under the Trump administration, but I don't know where Biden goes, is uh, if we want to get out, I think those negotiations are going to be sort of decent interval kind of negotiations. Uh, from back in the Kissinger days where uh, we are basically uh, going to be conceding uh, uh, a lot of opportunity for the Taliban to reassert themselves in Afghanistan. And if we want to be cleanly out of Afghanistan, I personally don't see uh, much alternative to that. And uh, we certainly spent a lot of treasure and, and precious lives in Afghanistan and what has been, as everybody knows, America's longest war. And in my mind, at least, we haven't accomplished a whole lot. And at least in the Obama administration, uh, I think uh, Biden had a lot of reluctance about nation building and so forth in uh, that part of the world and in Afghanistan in particular. And I guess I'd be uh, surprised if he dramatically differs uh, from where the Trump administration is trying to go with these peace negotiations. But I'm interested if you all have a different view on that. <laughs> I, I think it's an open question uh, myself, but uh, we'll, we'll have to see what happens when, when Biden gets uh, gets in place. Dick, uh, you've got four minutes, I've got four minutes, and then we're going to turn to- well, I'm going to take one minute to say I'm very concerned because over my corner, I'm checking out CNN and the protesters have breached the Capitol. And oh, wow. And the counting of the electoral votes has been paused, and the police are now trying to tidy up. But anyway, um, back to our subject. Um, my sense is that the Biden administration will reach out to Canada and Mexico early on and try to become the, the tres amigos again, rather than having these difficulties. Mexico, there's a thorny issue with the drug traffic, and of course, migration is going to be a major issue, and I think they'll see some quick and fast changes coming down the pike. And maybe if indeed the uh, two senators from Georgia turn out to be Democrats, we might actually get some legislative change in migration and solve some of these festering problems that have been going on for years and years and years. Venezuela, I don't think it's gonna go anywhere. We'll uh, just kind of keep the lid on, see what's happening. And COVID, the, the Problems in Latin America with COVID are going to multiply. It's going to keep getting worse rather than getting better in the short run. So that's my quick take. Dick, uh, presidents normally go to Canada or Mexico as their first trip abroad. You, uh, we, we saw that President Trump, his first trip was to Saudi Arabia. Yep. Um, you, you think uh, this guy is going to uh, the Western Hemisphere? or where, where I would think, think he'd go? go to the Western Hemisphere because it's quick and easy to do. And uh, it's going to be a question as to whether he can reach an agreement with AMLO, the president of Mexico. Uh, probably the easier way would be to go to Canada and have the Mexican president join up there. And then the three amigos can show solidarity in the Western Hemisphere. 
Okay, that doesn't count as your prediction for 2021, but that's that's good stuff. Uh, good. Looking at uh, Europe, <laughs> Europe and the Middle East co coming ahead, we've got just a couple of <laughs> a couple of minutes to go here. I think uh, the the signing and uh, uh, John, I, I think you mentioned we weren't sure if it was 2020 or 2021. The days are, are uh, merging together. The signing of uh, an agreement between the uh, EU and China on trade, uh, I think, driven lar in large extent by uh, German economic interests rather than uh, geostrategic interests. Uh, they want to get the, the Volkswagen plants in uh, China uh, fired up. There's a big one in Shanghai. Uh, but uh, the, the U.S. Uh, view, I think, had been uh, kind of a, a, a melancholy approach to everything was going to be better with the Europeans. Uh, I think uh, they're looking forward to having Mr. Biden in the White House, uh, a little less uh, criticism of their NATO contributions. Um, and, and just uh, more engagement with uh, people who uh, seek multilateralism. And uh, I think that was the statement of our incoming uh, ambassador to the United Nations. She said, uh, diplomacy is back, multilateralism is back, the United States is back. Uh, so the Europeans are looking forward to that. But I think after um, getting uh, the initial handshakes and hugs, uh, although nobody's hugging anymore, um, in, in place, we, we might see that... Uh, the relationship turns to real politic and, and we're looking at, at differences between European interests and American interests. I think NATO will get a big boost by uh, the new administration um, in terms of uh, support for uh, all of the uh, things that we signed up for, including uh, the mutual defense uh, aspects of uh, the relationship, which uh, some had held uh, uh, in, in low regard in, in the White House, but that's, uh, that's back. Uh, so I think with uh, the relationship with the EU being uh, not quite as rosy as uh, people uh, were, were kicking around after the election in November, uh, the United States and, and, the, and uh, the UK may find uh, more, more common uh, ground uh, to develop uh, the transatlantic relationship. So uh, look to see what's going on there. I, I uh, don't see Boris Johnson uh, surviving uh, his premiership much longer. With uh, the Brexit debacle, there's a lot of uh, uh, rumbling going on uh, in, in Whitehall about uh, what's uh, or down in the Parliament with what's going on um, in, in his administration. So there there could be some upset there, but that's that's not my prediction. Uh, as far as the Middle East, I I think um, we're not going to see any progress uh, on uh, Israel-Palestine uh, peace. I think the Biden administration is going to hold that at arm's length. Uh, that's uh, kind of a deal that's going nowhere for presidential administrations that we've seen. Uh, Jimmy Carter was the last one to have any, any major success there. Uh, in the Gulf, in the first uh, 100 days, we're looking at uh, confrontation with Iran. They're enriching uranium beyond the JCPOA. There's talk that uh, the Biden administration wants to sign the JCPOA, but there's a lot of friction. You know, who's uh, what what lobby is, is for the JCPOA? The uh, APAC is not. Uh, the Saudis aren't. Uh, the Europeans uh, want us to get back in, but um, you know we'll we'll see how that goes. A complicating factor is that uh, on the Iranian side, um, there's a small window after Biden assumes office, uh, followed by the Nowruz or New Year's holiday, which is a couple of weeks long, and then they roll into presidential elections. Uh, the current guy, Rouhani, is not eligible to run again. So you're going to see a, a laundry list of people who, um, coming out of the shadows, uh, could be some uh, Republican guard types, uh, some of the hardliners who uh, are still enjoying the I told you so uh, about the JCPOA and, and the uh, lack of credibility of the United States. So look for some political turmoil internally in, uh, in Iran as far as who's in charge. Um, and then... Um, you know, the, uh, the U.S. position that uh, uh, Iran is a provocateur in the region and uh, they're enriching uranium and the statements uh, by consecutive administrations that Iran will not be permitted to get a nuclear weapon. Uh, so we'll see what's uh, what's going on there. Okay, uh, we're uh, running long on time. Can I add, hey, Pat, can I add two things to your Europe? Two things? Yes, sir. Um, quickly, one is the resolution, hopefully, of the digital tax issue. Um, as you know, that is coming up, at least the deal we made with France. And so obviously now other countries are, are threatening to impose a digital tax that really is primarily going to target you know, our Google, Facebook, et cetera. 
And so I think that's a big issue because it's led to it's going to lead to some retaliation, at least the way it's positioned. I think that's a big issue. And then also resolution of the uh, Airbus uh, Boeing dispute. As you know, we just imposed another, I don't know, so many billion in in uh, tariffs um, that, uh, you know, I think are somewhat suspect. So I think that's another big issue, because, again, to your point, there may be some hugs and handshakes, but those are the real issues that are, you know, they, they really have significant impact on businesses and, 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 and revenue uh, in countries, uh, you know, in Europe as well as in the United States and other, and other parts of the world. So, but I think that's a big, those are two big things that need to be addressed and hopefully will be addressed, uh, maybe not in the first 100 days, but at least this year. Great, and, and I'll uh, mention that uh, we had a fantastic interview with Ambassador John Kornblum in our election 2020 series. He talked about a lot of these issues so if you want uh, some more detail, he's a former ambassador to Germany and uh, an expert uh, probably in the uh, premier leagues of U.S. government people understanding what's going on in uh, Europe. So uh, take a look at that election 2020, America's Place in the World. Uh, it's uh, in our archives on YouTube. Okay, um, predictions for 2021. And remember, the tape is rolling here. So a year from now, we're going to uh, break this out and, and see where everybody is. Uh, John? What's uh, what's gonna what's your pop up black swan or trend my, or whatever? My 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 concern black swan is something with uh, uh, North Korea or India China. Um, I, I think those two could potentially. I, I you know again they're black swans, so I think they're unlikely. But if anything's going to happen in that region, I think it's going to be one of those two places. And then in terms of a real prediction, uh, hopefully uh, the U.S. will rejoin uh, TPP. That's uh, yeah, I, I agree with you on that. And in terms of nuclear armed states, uh, North Korea, China, and India, uh, anything that uh, is low probability does carry a high risk. So uh, it's worth uh, considering. Um, Rick, Russia, Central Asia, Afghanistan. I'd uh, say two things. We'll, we'll give you we'll two. give you Eastern Europe too. <laughs> I have two predictions. <laughs> I'd like to start with Scotland, if it's okay. Uh, Scotland has legislative elections uh, this summer. And of course, the Scottish people as a whole were not in favor of Brexit. Uh, I think the Scottish, uh, uh, the party supporting Scotland independence will do very well in that summer election. Uh, they'll demand that there be a second referendum on independence. And I think that uh, they'll be granted that referendum, although maybe in 2022, and I think they're gonna vote for it. So that would be one, uh, vote for independence. The second is uh, their legislative elections in uh, Russia in November. Uh, back to uh, Dick's point, uh, Alexei Navalny, who is now in Germany, there are all kinds of rumors that he wants to use that uh, uh, run up to the election to go back and foster uh, dissent, great dissent against uh, Putin, who's who still has pretty high approval ratings, but they're down from what they were. And he's been criticized for the COVID response and isolating himself and stuff like that. So I think those elections, there may be significant protest uh, in Russia uh, during those elections. And if Navalny gets involved, who knows where that may lead in terms of Putin, Putin having to make some concessions about how he's gonna run things uh, going forward. And then my last one is with high taxes in uh, California and possibly under the new higher taxes under the new Biden administration, I think Harry and Megan are going to move back to the UK. You like that story. That's good stuff. <laughs> um, well, you know, Navalny also uh, has, has health concerns there. Uh, what was it they jabbed him with? Uh, that uh, Novichuk? Uh, was that the, uh, the, the agent? I, I forget what it was, but boy, he almost died, I know. Rough, rough stuff over there. So we wish him uh, good health in, in the uh, the new year. Dick, what do you see? Uh, what's your pop-up? My pop-up, I'll give it to Moderna. Uh, Moderna will be gone from Venezuela by the end of the year. And a That's second bold. one, huh? That's a bold one. Well, yeah. I may not be around here next year. So <laughs> you'll see. <laughs> Anyway, and second one, I think we're going to see some major movement on immigration reform here in the United States, and uh, that's going to be a good thing. Okay, mine uh, for the Middle East are uh, in the, the area of mortality. Uh, both the king of Saudi Arabia and the supreme leader in Iran are pretty old guys who have had 
any number of chronic illnesses. In fact, King Salman in Saudi Arabia, when he uh, assumed the throne in 2015, uh, most uh, analysts already thought that he uh, suffered from uh, dementia and would not uh, be able to hold his reign for very long. It's been um, coming up on five years now, the end of January, and um, I think uh, 2021 might not be a good year for the king. Likewise, uh, the Supreme Leader Amenai in Iran um, has, uh, is elderly and is uh, reported to have a number of chronic illnesses. Uh, these guys uh, won't live forever. I remember at U.S. Central Command, when uh, I was uh, working as an intel guy there, every morning we'd uh, place bets on whether Saddam was going to last uh, another day. And we even had a birthday cake on his 65th birthday in, in honor of him. So these guys are getting old, and uh, they're they're passing from the scene. They're going to create a lot of uh, interesting uh, uh, moves in uh, in the politics of their respective countries and their relationship with uh, the rest of the region. Um, in uh, Europe, I, I think um, uh, we're going to see the trend lines uh, towards uh, uh, the EU, as as we mentioned, as, as John affirmed. The EU and the U.S. not necessarily seeing eye to eye on a whole host of issues, and uh, we'll have to uh, see if we can rely on America's back in the multilateral business to, to get us through. Well, we uh, we burned through an hour. Can, here. I, can I throw one more out there and see if you guys yes. will agree? Yes, sir. Go ahead. Donald Trump will resign his office before the twentieth, and he will be fully pardoned by the new president, Mr. Pence. Any takers? Right, <laughs> <laughs> huh? Okay, that's, that's enough. <laughs> well, anything's possible. I'll tell you that the way this is going. So are we, are we becoming right. so as inscrutable as North Korea? What's going on here? That would be a I'll, fitting I'll, final chapter. I it think. looks like it's a, it's bad stuff up at the on the Capitol now. The demonstrators have breached inside the Capitol and they've suspended well, operations and the. Capitol Police has, re has asked for additional police help from the city, and wow. so here we go. Okay. Well, we'll turn to that in, in just a minute. But to make it interesting, Ambassador, I'll, I'll take you up on that uh, prediction. Uh, and we'll, <laughs> maybe we'll put uh, uh, a Thai restaurant lunch on the line there. Okay. Um, any last comments? We got uh, two minutes, uh, gentlemen. Uh, John, thanks so much for coming and, and joining us. So we hope you enjoyed your hour here. Oh no, thanks for uh, thanks for having me. I, I think we are definitely going to be in for a lot of change over the next uh, couple of years. Especially, you know, one of the I think the real impediments to Biden administration really beginning to do anything major was the potential of a divided, you know, Congress. And so, if this election in Georgia holds, as some have predicted. And I think that really is going to at least provide opportunity. Now, whether they'll be able to really do and whether they'll take bold action, we'll see. But, but I think it's uh, I, I think it's going to be a very interesting uh, at least two years until the next you know election cycle. Yeah, this changes everything. There's enough splits within the Democratic Party that I think the domestic agenda might uh, be uh, more troublesome for the White House. But on the foreign uh, front, I think the Democrats will all line up behind Biden on the things he wants to do uh, abroad. Breck, the historian, you're, you, you view uh, you view developments in, in the decades and centuries, right? So uh, uh, I'm sure you'll be tuned in to what's going on in the coming years. A lot to be tracking. Well, it was a fun day today, and we started the new year off right. I had a good time and enjoyed being with all of you. Great. Same here. Well, uh, Ambassador Dick Bowers, Dr. Breck Walker, and Mr. John Scanapieco, uh, thank you so much, and thanks, everybody, for uh, joining us today. We will be back every week with the Global News Review at 1 o'clock on Wednesday afternoons. Again, I encourage you to take a look at our extensive library of uh, webinars. Uh, we've been doing global dialogues. We had the Election 2020 series, uh, Global Nashville with Carl Dean, uh, which is every uh, other Tuesday uh, coming up here. We resume that on uh, January 20th. So uh, please come back and uh, join us again. And on behalf of the Tennessee World Affairs Council, uh, thank you very much. And everybody have a good day and be safe.